everyone. Before last show, I warned you not to let your children watch. But you did anyway. Hmm. Well, this episode is even worse. It's scarier, more violent, and I think they snuck in some bad language, too. So please, tuck in your children and... Hmm. Well, if you didn't listen to me last time, you're not going to now. Enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody, to TWGTF, or as everyone knows it from the spooky swamps of Louisiana to the really spooky church with whatever the hell's in that tube. What's in that damn tube? And for, for that matter, what was that other movie? This is Two White Guys Talking Film, Halloween Spooky Edition. I'm, of course, your host, Ben. And I'm Tyler. Tyler, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well. I've had a, I've had to bounce back after a pretty long and arduous week, but I'm doing oh. good. Good. Happy 12th of October. Yes. We're in the month of October. At the theater, we're running a festival. This is when we do it. Oh, it's so nice. I have the sweaters out, you know, I got flannels for days. It was cold this week. It was so nice. Uh, It's gotten, like, rainy up here recently, and it's just like, oh, it's so nice and cozy. Interesting. Interesting. But we're not here to talk about the weather, because, God, could you imagine that podcast? I don't know. It's sunny out, I guess. (laughs) <laughs> what a boring podcast see you later we are here to talk about the best thing we saw this week and tyler what was the best thing you saw this week i saw so many things this week um i'm just gonna quickly naomi's left him again <laughs> no i just i've had a little bit more free time been watching stuff first one was i saw it chapter two. Oh, i held off last week what yeah. did you think um, i thought it was better than the first one but also i do not have a high opinion of the first one <laughs> And it's so weird. I'm the opposite way. I think the first one's better than this one, even though I do enjoy this one quite a bit. I feel as I, as if I am in the minority on this one, and I, I understand think, that. Yeah, I do too. I just, I don't think it's hard to pull in a performance out of grown adult actors. I think it's harder to do that with kids. But I don't think those were very good performances. Oh, see, I like those kids. They fit exactly, but the thing is though, it's not a very well-written, like, they're not very well-written in the books either. Like, they're yeah. very generic, so they're well, the, playing off of what they have. The thing is, is, is the book isn't, isn't like two parts. It's not like one half and then another half. Well, they're like yeah. written I mean, into that's one another. It's a book. You can, yeah. But the thing is, is when you split it up the way they do, you put all of the themes and like the thematic, like importance to everything in the second half of the mo- of the of the of the of the, of the two movies, um, which makes the first half very boring because there's not a whole lot of stakes. I get what you mean. Just for me, it doesn't quite work for the second half and also i don't think they give the guy who's the star of this movie pennywise enough to do and it's good like there's good parts to it i'll say this now we can finally talk about this the moment where she's looking at the picture that she finds in the old lady's house you know what i'm talking about yes 
and you see from down the hall the old lady and the old lady does this weird body twitch and walk off screen unintentionally funniest moment of the year in a movie that whole old lady thing i is so funny was like so, couldn't stop from laughing out loud oh my god it is one of the most funny moments of the year and i think should be nominated for most unintentionally funny moment of definitely the year. i don't even think there's gonna be like a nomination like i don't think anything else is gonna get nominated but like I'll, that i'll say this i haven't started it yet but i just get a feeling there's gonna be something in parasite that's gonna tickle me the wrong way and it's not gonna be funny like <laughs> So I'm just saying that has a real shot, I think. And secondly, I just want to shout out, uh, I got super uh, tilted and watched the beach, the beach Bum. Oh, what'd you think? It's a cute little movie. I liked is, it. Yeah, isn't it? You're just like, you know what? Good for you, Matthew McConaughey. You're going to find us somewhere on your on a list at the end of this year. Good for you, Matthew McConaughey. Uh, yeah, You're just I having just... fun. I think I think we definitely helped for that one. I was like so stoned I couldn't move, and Matthew McConaughey's performance comes off much less annoying if you're if you're a little inebriated. If that makes sense, it does make sense. That's all I got. So what, what okay. did you see this week? Well, there were two movies this week. Once again, you saw it, and you saw the Beach Bum. So this week, I like caught up on everything. I finished Tyler's list of movies for next week. I did everything I needed to do. Everything's taken care of. We took care of everything around the house. And I treated myself to, first of all, the Hateful Eight extended version that they have put out on Netflix. Oh, how is that? I, I got to tell you, this is, they break it up like it's a mini series. Yeah, I thought, like, when I first heard about it, I was like, well, that's kind of not the way I want to watch it. And then I heard that, like, Tarantino did that as like an editing exercise and i was and like apparently this is how he showed it when he took it on the road that's weird man yes and i'll t I'll tell you this i think it makes it better and i'll say this i'm starting to see what you mean by you thinking this is his like fourth potentially best movie i think it's definitely an under the radar like, it's i it's so well written and it's so smart and I, it's so simple too because it's essentially just ripping off the thing mm-hmm like, mm -hmm. it's the same movie. Some There's a bunch of people somewhere. One of them isn't what they say they are. Yeah. Well, a bunch of them aren't what they say they are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but... God, it's so good. And it's so well done when they break it up in a miniseries form. Yeah. I feel like you have the more of, more of like a of a mystery scenario when well, it comes even, to that. Even the way they present it to you, like, when they go to black, when they come back on the next episode, they show you the last, like, like the last 25 seconds you saw it was really well done like mm. hats off and honestly might be sam jackson's like late in life great performance i truly wonder if the hateful it is a movie uh 10 15 years on that we're gonna be talking about as one of his best i do I, I really think it might like i just think it has to overcome just such a herculean length <laughs> like that is so long it's but it's really well done and it never really loses you. It's it's and it's all dialogue and it could be a stage play. It could be. Yeah. It's got two locations, which is something I love. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, it's it's really well done. And oh, just everyone in it. And, and you know, it's the funny thing I wrote about it last night. I said, I've always wondered if we were ever going to get a Tarantino take on horror. I think this is it. It's about as close as we're probably ever like, going to get. It's a revenge like a revenge horror movie. He's uh, definitely a guy, I think, if he doesn't retire after 10, which if Steven Soderbergh couldn't retire, I'm sorry, Quentin Tarantino, you're not going to be able to retire either. That's just my opinion on it. 
I'll say this too, second most disturbing moment with Jennifer Jason Lee this week. Like, <laughs> oh my God. Like, I watched Fast Times, I'm like, okay, yeah, that's probably the worst thing that's happened to a character she's played on film. And then I'm like, oh, right, they hang her in Hateful Eight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, it's insane. Mm-hmm. But besides that, a friend of mine on Monday came to me and he handed me a movie. And he said, you said you hadn't seen this. I wanted you to see this. And you know him. You remember AJ from work. Yeah, I do. I remember AJ. Okay. And AJ brought me a little movie. And it's funny I bring this to you now because it's called Crazy Rich Asians. Ooh, that's a good movie. I'm going to tell you right now, Tyler. I would have never suspected that I was going to like a movie like Crazy Rich Asians. The title doesn't really do anything for me. The trailer I thought wasn't that amazing. I gotta tell you, this is a charming film. Yeah, I feel like I feel like that's it's it's that feels like a movie that like had you seen it last year might have snuck onto the back end of like a best of list. Oh, it, it would have been on my top ten list. This this was like a four and a quarter out of five for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh. I wrote it's a movie about preconceptions and misconceptions, and it's smartly wrapped in a cultural romantic comedy shock. It's an all Asian cast. Like this is a really well done movie and. Let's give credit to where credit's due. He's starting to come back into my good light, Mr. Uh, John M. Chu. You're very, yes. <laughs> well, the reason I saw that movie is because he's the director of Gentleman of the Holograms, of course. Okay, yes, yes, he is. It's a really, really good comeback for him after Gentleman the Hologram. I think it's he's him. quite successful, too. I think, he, I think it's him maintaining a, a very good uh, directorial career. And not a comeback. (laughs) I don't know if I can agree with that. Uh, You know what, then? How about this? It is a good financial comeback. Yes. Without that movie, he definitely doesn't get In the Heights, which is a movie I am secretly very excited for. Well, that's good. I'm I'm glad you're excited for that. So your two once more were? It, Chapter 2, and The Beach Bum. And I, of course, saw The Hateful Eight Extended Version, only available on Netflix, and Crazy Rich Asians. Quite good. Both of them. I'm, I'm going to tell you, Tyler, I, I took the temperature of the audience out there while you were back uh, putting on your face and everything and getting ready because this is a big one. They are. They got some questions for you. So I think you should get out there and uh, you, you tell them. And I'm going to be okay. behind this uh, this bulletproof shield. OK, <laughs> just get out there, champ. Just okay. get out there. Well, before I get into the introduction of the movie, I'm going to do a quick little summation of giallo as a genre. I feel like it's important. Tyler, before you go out there, let me let me talk to them real quick. Let me get on this megaphone. He's going to explain himself. Give him four minutes. All right, they're, they're ready to listen to you. Okay. Giallo as a genre has its origins in Italian translations of English and American novels published in the El Giallo Monadore Dorne style. This, of course, would be paperbacks with bright yellow covers with scenes of suspense and murder on them. Giallo as a term just means yellow. Its film trans, uh, traditions date back to the 1946 RKO film, The Spiral Staircase, which is a noir where a shadowy serial killer wears black leather gloves and kills women due to repressed sexual feelings. And the German adaptations of Edgar Wallace and his son Brian Edgar Wallace novels in the early 60s. In 1963, Mario Bava would direct The Girl Who Knew Too Much, also known as Evil Eye. This, and his follow-up movie, The Whip and the Body, established Giallo's use of surrealism and the emphasis of mood over plot, and in case of the latter film, extreme and dynamic lighting effects. 
The genre would grow and change with its biggest change happening in 1978 when American filmmaker George Romero released his follow-up to hit Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, which in Italy was known as Zombie. This movie being released would cause a European sensation of zombie films being made for cheap, low-budget, pop them out as quickly as possible. A man, Lucio Fulci, would direct his first zombie film, known as Zombie 2, which in America would become known as Zombie. This, in Italy, would be weirdly a sequel to Dawn of the Dead, but that's beside the point. That movie would be an absolute smash and would allow him to make a trilogy of zombie movies, City of the Living Dead, this movie, and his follow-up to this, House by the Cemetery. We are, of course, watching the boundary-pushing, weird, just surreal, and intense. From 1981, we are watching The Beyond. Sixty years ago, everybody in this hotel disappeared. Every last person. A painter called Spike, who lived here, closeted in his room, had found a key. What key? The seven gateways to hell. This house was constructed on one of the... <gasps> who else is here? There's nobody here. I can feel a presence. Somebody else is in here. No, Emily. Nobody's here. Yes. It's him. He's here again. He's come back to the hotel. Get a hold of yourself, Emily, please. What is this? That? Painting. Just an old painting. That's the bell from, from room 36. That's where he was killed, in his room. 36 was Schweik's room. The man who found the key. He's returned, Liza. Don't ever enter that room. Now look, Emily. I've lived in New York all my life. And if there's one thing I've learned not to believe in, it's ghosts. I was lucky to inherit this hotel. The first good break I've had... It'll take more than a faulty electrical contact or some crazy story to make me give it up. How dare you, first of all. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this. Like, after what you just said, if you were trying to negotiate with me and I had a bunch of people in a building, I'm not gonna kill anyone just yet. Because that was actually a really interesting like explanation of what and tell us the term of what this is again. So this is a giallo, which uh, is just means yellow. I and did not know what giallo filmmaking was. That is very interesting. So essentially, these are trashy horror novels. They're not always trashy. Um, but, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, so these are like dime store, dime store horror novels. Yes. So your okay. Agatha Christie's, okay. your Edgar Wallace's, your... Okay. Raymond Chandler was also lumped into it. A bunch this, of this makes sense. I know of the Spiral Staircase. I've listened to the original radio play it's based on, but that's interesting. It's a good movie. Okay. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Um, I do need to watch that. Yeah. So this is a movie. <laughs> you took the notes for this, thank God. Oh, I, God I, I would yeah. not have known what to do. I'm just going to start out by saying, The Beyond is Lovecraftian. Can we at least agree on this? 
Yeah, it is. It, and it's only Lovecraftian in the last four minutes, but... It, well... I mean, I think... Like, technically, the Book of Ebon is oh, uh, okay. like an actual Lovecraftian thing. Oh, fair enough. I don't Sorry. know what that is. I'm a he, turbo okay. nerd. He, Lucio Fulci, you're a dork, okay? That's the first thing I'm going to say. You're, you're a big old dork. He, he is. Have you ever seen Lucio Fulci? I think I've seen Zombie. I'm pretty sure. I know I've seen parts of it. Uh, what else did he do? He did... Okay, so City of the Living Dead is the first one of this. Um, Suspiria? No, that's Dario Argento. Okay, shit. He did Woman in Lizard Skin... I've seen none of these. No, okay. I think I've seen zombie. Zombie, I've seen parts of. I feel like you would your, your speed would probably more of something like a, a Woman in Lizard Skin, which is much more of a straightforward thriller. Uh, his later work gets like this. <laughs> this is a bizarre film, Tyler. What what were you thinking? This is one of my favorite horror movies of all time. What are you talking about? <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. I, I don't know. Do not know. <laughs> To run through the plot just a little bit, because there really isn't a whole lot of plot. <laughs> it's just kind of a lot of things happening, <laughs> if I'm being honest. There's this book of Ivan and the prophet Ivan, who wrote said book of Ivan, who is holed up in a Louisiana hotel. His book prophesizes that there are seven gates to hell and that the hotel's basement has one of them. And I, for some other reason, he is brutally murdered by the people of louisiana yeah who were those people was he a bad guy they don't tell you we'll just come in and just start whipping him and by the way really whipping him no yeah with like a like a metal whip <laughs> like... oh my god it cuts his flesh i was like oh god Brielle's like what is it i'm like don't come in here tyler's a dick maybe it's what i'll yell out next time no it's not that bad but it's just it's very shocking it's like in sepia tone, and you're just not expecting the first, like, ten minutes of this movie to just be, like, a guy getting brutally, like, crucified and murdered. And then they bury him, right? And then they, they bury him in the basement, I think. Like, oh they put God. him, like, deep in the basement. And then it cuts to the future, and... Now some woman named Lisa is, like, running uh, the hotel? Liza moves from New York, where she, I believe, was a model, or was attempting to be a model, to take over the this Louisiana hotel... We're never told really why she has it. We think it's some sort of relative died and left her the hotel. She's trying to renovate it. There's like two groundskeepers. One's named Arthur and the other one's name is Martha. They're not explained. You just kind of, like none of the movie doesn't tell you anything. You're just kind of supposed to figure it out, <laughs> which is so good. No, it's. Fucking frustrating is it's what it is. But I think I'm it's sorry. There, I I understand that it's he's doing a thing. I understand it's a style, but there's a difference between style and just not doing your job. Your job is to inform us as to what we're seeing, and it just never feels like he does that. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It actually helps the terror in this movie. It makes it scarier. <laughs> People die in that movie who totally don't make sense as to why they die, and other people in that movie totally live when you're like, well, why didn't they die? <laughs> oh, yeah, there's people who eat it, and you're just like, wow, all right. <laughs> okay, I guess. Uh, and then there's people who live where you're just like, that doesn't make sense, but I... Okay, so question for you. Remember yes. when he's emptying the gun? By the way, he shoots like 94 of them, never reloads, 
can't drop this one guy, which, by the way, that one guy he can't drop, that's the guy who was entombed in the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. I believe that's Ebon. I knew it. Oh, I was so proud of myself. I knew it was going to be that guy. Because he's all can, like, he's much worse, right? You like, can tell it's him because, A, he's, like, decayed way longer, and, B, he has, like, like rips in his face, and they show you, like, a particular scar that he gets from the whip. Fair I believe okay. that's what happened. But, yeah, that is, oh, fuck. And it's, like, at one point, oh, and that fucking little redhead girl i would have killed her immediately you knew she was going to be evil so wait what happens if you're blind what what is that crap okay a man falls off a ladder we he sees no one has ever died like that before oh but he gets hold on he sees a blind lady like inside the um, house and gets so freaked out he falls off a scaffolding and he bites it real hard (laughs) tyler's tyler's telling you this he falls off a ladder and then just starts bleeding from the mouth profusely. No well, not, reason. Not just the mouth, like the head. Like, he has a traumatic brain injury. Like, he's okay. bleeding from under his hair, like his scalp. He dies. And then some. So you meet the doctor, Joe something. Joe, American man. He shows up. He takes the guy away. And then the plumber shows up. And then immediately is murdered by a zombie who spikes his eyeball, which is a Fulci thing. On some loose wiring, not wiring, on some loose... The like nail, I think. It's like a nail? It's, That's right. Yeah. Just the grossest... Wasn't it, wasn't it the nail that was holding him in place? Oh, something like that. But it goes into his eyeball, which is always the worst. Yeah, that's pretty upsetting. Um, um, that was another time I went, oh, well, this is happening, I guess. <laughs> that's a Fulci movie. Yep, he's, uh, so you want to get into this guy? This is a real cinematic blind spot for me. So I want you to tell me a few interesting things about Lucio Fulci. Okay, let me... Maybe just stuff you like, even. Fulci is kind of a weird director. He's probably the third rated director amongst the Giallo, like, masters, quote-unquote. Argento uh, and who else being in uh, there? Bava, the the originator, the guy who, who helped train both these men and kind of, like, taught him basically his style oh i think he also worked with the noki if i'm not mistaken they were usually they usually were pretty big in the 80s right mm, mm-hmm. yeah baba uh, baba was um he also worked with um i think he worked with liger too right all right are we doing something else here sorry i'm, I'm thinking of a different guy mm-hmm. okay so what did baba do tell, tell uh, me tell me about these three if these are the if these are the godfathers of the giallo so baba did the evil eye the woman the girl who knew too much he also did black sunday great movie um, oh, I've seen Black Sunday. The one Black where Sunday. they na- they nail the mask to him, right? Yeah, where they nail oh, the mask to him. I've seen Black face. Sunday. Okay. Masterpiece. Love Black Sunday. Um, he did Black Sabbath, which is like a kind of like a anthology film. I haven't seen that one. Um, you would probably like Bava because Bava, it's he's he's much more uh, his sensibilities are less overtly upsetting. Bolchi is is kind of like id. It's all about like. Just grossness, sleaziness. Fulci has this movie called uh, New York Ripper, which is uh, maybe the grossest movie I've ever watched. <laughs> um, uh, that's a movie that made me like want to take a, sh- a shower afterwards. I guess if we're asking this, in the sense of us running a horror film festival, obviously the guest of honor this year at our horror film festival is John Carpenter. We both picked him. <laughs> is Fulci the carpenter of the Giallo? Is he like? Is that kind of what he is? Whereas like Bava might be more the Craven. I feel like it would go Argento's like, help, probably. Help, help, yeah, help me with this. W- like, compare each of them to an, an American horror director. Okay. So, 
Bava would kind of, I'm not going to say Hitchcock because that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but like, like kind of the Godfather, the guy who kind of like helped pioneer a bunch of stuff. Okay. Okay. Argenta's the guy who probably more like Carpenter, who, who has like a lot of like big success early on. And then kind of like his later career, just kind of like, oh, there's like one or two hits. And then it's mostly like just a wasteland of nothing. Okay. And then you could say that Fulci's a little bit more like Craven, where it's a little bit weirder sexually. There's some political stuff that maybe is not good. <laughs> but Giallo is much more centered on like mood than plot. It's much more the feeling of like being followed instead of like showing someone following someone, if that makes sense. So you as an audience feel like you're being followed. Yeah. Whereas, and... it, whereas as an audience watching it, watching someone being followed. Exactly. Okay. Um, so it's a sense, because I'll tell you this. I wanted to take a shower after this movie, Tyler. That's a good feeling. That's kind of that's kind of what Fulci does. Is you go like, man, that 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 movie kind of fucking had some amazing gore, and also I feel really gross. He was uh, probably like, hey, I'm gonna make you feel so dirty. Oh, I assume that's how he talks. I'm I'm pretty if, sure. I'm like, probably. You should definitely check out Zombie. It's probably his I've most. Seen, I think I've seen Zombie. I've seen Zombie. That's the one where the girl's eye is forced towards that spike e, thing. Right? Yeah, and yeah, that's I've, seen, I've seen Zombie. So gross. It's really well done, though. It is really well done. It's. It, you know that's that movie was uh, supposed to be a sequel, but Donald the Dead, right? <laughs> I did not know that, and it doesn't make any sense. In Italy, Donald the Dead was called Zombie. It was a Zombie mm -hmm. Z O M B I. They released zombie flesh eaters which is what the american name would be as zombie 2 as like a direct sequel because italy has like really loose copyright law and they could just there's that's why if you, you can type in like evil dead 8 and you'll get like house 4 it's like really really strange their content laws they would just take movies and just slap a different name on them to try and sell it better in uh, italy so what you're saying is he went into an italian film office and said what if a dawn of the dead but two and they're like, you beautiful genius. And he goes, I got the movie for you. And they're like, does it have a zombie? He goes, does it have a zombie? Like, that's that's how I imagine this went. They're also, for some reason, in the back of a kitchen as well when they're doing this deal. I think it's more of the producer came like, hey, can you make a movie uh, that's like Dawn of the Dead? And he's I'm like, making oh. you a second of Dawn of the Dead. That's not what I asked for. I'm making you a second one. Oh, he's, um, like, he's, he's already got him trapped. He's like, I'll sell it here in America as zombie, but there we'll sell it as Dawn of the Dead too. That's where the real money is. <laughs> that movie has a zombie fight a shark, mm -hmm. which might be the greatest cinematic achievement ever, I think, right? I mean, Eli Roth said it best on the uh, Bravo's 100 movies. He said, he goes, that's like a hard geek's wet dream. <laughs> um, which I'm like, yeah, he's kind of right. I'd watch that. Yeah, this is a, this is just a bizarre movie. Ty. I, don't, I don't know what to say about this movie. So you asked about the blind lady, right? Yeah, yeah, they're all blind. So, well, they will be, but em Emily, I believe, is her name. Yes. I believe she's the woman that's reading the Ebon in the beginning of the film. She's the uh, one, I, you have a lady that... who's like reading uh, the passages. I think that's supposed to be her. Weird. And I think people who are blind are people who have been who have have seen the ultimate evil, which is hell, and have been forced back into the human realm. So they have these like horrible looking cataracts. Just looks really upsetting and gross. 
And she also has a German shepherd, and it is probably the most striking image. Her just alone on this bridge across this endless like blue water, just in the middle of it. So good. Such a wonderful shot. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Let me ask you this. The two leads, Lisa and Emily, or the mm-hmm. two female leads. Today, who do you get for these two? Because for me, I think Emily is like a really, really interesting idea. Cause like, I think you could play with that, but I think like with like Lisa, I would just pick Jennifer Lawrence so I could just throw blood on her all the day. Mm. I think uh, Anna Taylor, was it? Ooh, was that's, not bad. Anna that's Taylor, not bad. Anna Taylor, is it not Joy? What's, what's no, it name? is Anna Taylor Joy. That's Anna Taylor, yeah. Anna Taylor Joy would, would make that look very strange. I was I was gonna say ten years ago Mila Djokovic. Mm, that's a good one. Yeah, because she's kind of got the same bone structure, and I think I could just see her doing something with it. But like, I just don't know how this. You couldn't make this movie today. Like, no, you could not. How was this something people were into? Europeans, man. Yeah, they just they just got a more higher sense of film. What are you talking so, about? No, here? no, no. They like got a higher sense of film. They just love. So originally. We're getting the leads here, but this movie was originally not supposed to have any zombies, which makes sense if you watch the movie. Like, I would say 70% of the movie has like zero zombies in it. But Germans had such a high intake of zombie films, like, all of the Italians could produce a movie just by telling Germans that there's going to be more zombies in it because like the like the audience for Germ- for like zombies in Germany was intense for whatever yeah. reason. It was the early 80s, read into that what you will. But by basically by saying like they'll put zombies in it, he got like a, his budget like doubled what it normally would have been. And so these guys had like kind of like a rotating cast of journeyman actors who didn't get paid a lot because italy you don't shoot on sound i don't know if you noticed that like sound is dubbed in afterwards oh it's very apparent and for some people that's just like a barrier to entry that like they just cannot get over that like most italian movies do not use sound that's shot with the film and it's all dubbed in afterwards it makes shooting cheaper because you don't have to pay the people who are doing it twice. You can pay other people and you can kind of lowball them. It's a very weird system in comparison to an American system. But it really makes sense that Giallo burned out like in the mid 80s. Like a little while after this, like all the directors were kind of done with it. Yeah, this is, I don't know, man. It's it's such a bizarre movie. And it just kind of, I mean, can we spoil the end of this? Let me get to it really quick. Basically, Emily is to sort of set things in motion and people die <laughs> in increasingly strange die. ways. Oh my God. And essentially by what the, happens... By the way, can we talk about the scene in the morgue? Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. They fucking blow a kid away. Okay. Well, that's the end. I thought you were going to talk about the lady getting like the acid dumped on her. Well, uh, that too. But which I is mean, also like, bizarre. But I mean, like, they, they fucking straight up shoot a child. Well, they make this child into the like an orphan because like her dad dies and then her mom dies like immediately after, and so oh you kind of feel God. bad. But then the kid's like kind of annoying and also disappears for most of the film. You really don't know what happens to it. It's almost and like someone lost the kid. You're really <laughs> you're, you called it it. Okay. Anyway, whatever. You can edit that care. out. I don't know. I just thought that no, was funny. I don't care. Screw um, it. Just screw that kid. Screw that when, little redheaded troll. Everything starts popping off. All of the people have died. All of them have become zombies. And they're, like, trying to shoot their way out of the hospital. 
she's like holding on to Liza, and then it turns out that actually she is also a zombie. And the thing about this scene is I love it because it just it makes people go insane when they see it because it's just like you're either like me and you're like, did they really? Or you're like Ben and you're like horrified. <laughs> um, oh, no, no, I'm I'm mildly horrified. It's a 70s Italian art house like horror movie. I know that the Italians love their gore. I know like, what that is. Like that didn't surprise me, but it's just like, oh my god! Like just the amount of that was in it. Like just just how big it was. Well, I wouldn't say art house. I'd say grindhouse. But ah, he just turns. One man's and... grind is another man's art. You you understand? <laughs> the doctor just turns, and fires, and just a hole appears in her head. And it's it's one of the like most like whoa I don't didn't think you could do that in a movie, but I guess you can. <laughs> it's the Grandpa Simpson. I never thought I could shoot down a German plane, but last year I proved myself wrong. <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like it's this and the moment in Assault on Precinct Thirteen when they shoot the little kid. Both those oh, moments are right. like oh I just didn't know you could I just I didn't know you could do that. Yeah, it's oh uh, what is it when the kid gets run over in Pet Cemetery? You're like oh. Well, there we are. Here, here we are. This is a new level of horrifying. What more would you like to say about this? I do want to talk about the very end. Okay. Because I'll tell you this, both of your movies this week did something very interesting. And I don't know if you picked it on purpose because of this. What do you think it... Well, hold on, but what, you just said I did. What do you think it is that I you think I'm talking about? They both have these kind of downer end... Not downer endings, but like this like ambiguous bad end. Where you kind of are left with like, oh, mm. I guess evil won. <laughs> oh, you mean bad is in like a negative ending? Yeah. Okay, not bad is in a bad ending because I'm like, oh, I no, no, I, no. Just, I disagree with you on that because the second movie we're going to talk about, I I think they're both great endings. Okay, well I'm going to say this: I like the last like five minutes of the Beyond for what it is because at that point I'm like, oh, see, that's an interesting second movie in my head. But I, you're never going to get that second movie. No one's going to be like, oh, yeah, I'll finance the Beyond 2, the re-Beyond or whatever. Beyonder. Call it Beyonder. There's a Marvel. Don't. No. No. Not see, I didn't it. know. I didn't I didn't know there was a Marvel thing called the Beyonder. I was just, I was just spitballing ideas here. Beyonder is not bad, actually. I, I Sure. So what happens is they're trying to shoot their way out of the out of the hospital. They shoot a little girl. It's very violent and made me gasp for the first time I saw it. it made me gasp this time, even though I know it was, knew it was happening. And then they get out and they find that the gate of hell underneath the hotel has opened. The sky is white and it's just nothingness and it's hell on earth. And as they walk closer, confused, you see that their eyes have turned to cataracts in the same way that Emily's has. Yeah, it's it's really dark and it's really well done, too, because it almost looks like a painting. There's there's a lot of really beautiful stuff at the end of it. I just don't think the movie overall works for me because I don't like the way the style kind of treats you as an audience member. That might be my biggest thing about it. Yeah, that's definitely a thing. If if you were to watch more Giallo, you'd kind of have to get over. Because, like, the movie's just kind of like, you'll figure it out, right? <laughs> you know. Yeah. And most Giallo, I'm going to be honest, like, a lot of Giallo, like any genre, it's kind of bad. It's a real hit and miss. But I think when you hit on something like this movie, like, this isn't, this is kind of atypical of Giallo. I would love to do more, like, stuff like some of the Argento stuff. 
some of the like well, earlier 60s giallo which are much more thriller based well maybe we plan for next year for october maybe we do a whole giallo one maybe I yeah. would love to do, yeah, because I would love to show you something like Cat and, not Cat and Nine Tails, but like a Bird with a Crystal Plumage or a Torso, which are much more of like slasher. Who, who hasn't seen those? Me. Well, I, is, I also want to talk answer. about their insane, Jellos have some of the most insane names I've ever heard, like Black Billy of the Tarantula or Your Vice is the Locked Door and Only I Have the Key. <laughs> That's a title to a movie? That's a great title to a movie. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. You know what? We're, we're going to get to a great titled movie in a minute. What What do you give The Beyond? I think in reality it's probably a four, but I, I, in my head it's a five. I just absolutely love The Beyond so much. So wait, what? which one is it? I'm going to give it a five. Uh, just personally, I know it's not really. I know there's some serious flaws, and I could probably pick at those, but I God, I love it so much. okay. This is a three. This <laughs> is fine. this is a fine effort. It's it's not a bad movie by any stretch. There is a lot of talent here, you can tell. There is a guy really trying to go for something who has a very clear vision. I will never fault a director if they have a clear vision. If they're just jerking off into a ceiling fan, that's something else. But Lucio Fulci has a clear vision here. This is a solid three out of five. It's I'm never going to watch this again but it's perfectly serviceable. If someone said, should I see this? I'd be like, yeah, if you're interested in learning something new, also listen to this podcast so you can hear the beginning part. That certainly helped my rating bump up a little bit. But yeah, this is a three out of five. I will gladly accept that. That's that's good. It's good. I didn't know we were accepting things. <laughs> there was an Ebon in your house. He's ready to, to attack. So, <laughs> just, just so you know. Well, the lights have come up and everyone's like, you know what? We misjudged him. I'm glad we didn't light the theater on fire. <laughs> and with him and, and with, I'm like I didn't pick this <laughs> I gotta save the posters <laughs> that would also be what I would be doing too yeah we both so we, we'll sell like, them on eBay we'll recoup expenses not the good lighthouse poster uh, I think we lost that in the fire what's it no. worth I don't know no we just keep telling them that <laughs> the lights have come up and Tyler now is going to tell us about our next film. After the box office disappointment of Big Trouble in Little China, John Carpenter is set to work on a smaller horror film with a meager budget. Based around ideas of matter and antimatter, this film would be the second installment in what would become his Apocalypse trilogy, all of which are movies inspired by Lovecraftian nightmares. This movie, of course, is Prince of Darkness. Let's talk about our beliefs and what we can learn about them. We believe nature is solid and time a constant. Matter has substance and time a direction. There is truth in flat and the solid ground. The wind may be invisible, but it's real. Smoke, fire, water, light, they're different not as to stone or steel, but they're tangible. And we assume time has narrowed because it is as a clock. One second is one second for everyone. Cause precedes effect. Fruit rots, water flows downstream. We're born, we age, we die. The reverse never happens. None of this is truth. Say goodbye to classical reality. 
because our logic collapses on the subatomic level into ghosts and shadows. So, as you know, for every movie I see, I write a tweet about it. And this mm-hmm. was my tweet about Prince of Darkness, a weirdly ahead-of-its-time film that slow burns you until the last half hour. Carpenter's misunderstood masterpiece that will have you asking several questions by the end. A mostly unknown cast takes some chances, making this pretty interesting attempt. I gotta tell you, Tyler, I have not seen this movie. I own this movie because at one point I was just buying Carpenter movies, like stock, and I had it and I've just never actually popped it in and watched it. This is damn good. Right? Yeah, this is this is a really solid movie. And you know what I would say? Can I can I give you this? And I'm not saying this because it was on the top of my list for our Mount Rushmore, but this is kind of his prestige. I feel like people know the prestige more than they know this movie, but this definitely I get what you're you're saying. This is much more of the kind of gritty back to basics sort of narrative yeah Yeah. and i mean and it's not to say that there isn't amazing special effects of gore in this there are there's some absolute there's one particular just like wow that is okay well and i want to get to that so i want to open with a question Mm -hmm. if kurt russell is john carpenter's de niro then who is pleasance is pleasance in anything else that carpenter does so he's in Halloween with him. He's in Escape mm. from New York, and he's in this. Like that's three movies in Carpenter's career. Three pretty significant movies too. I'm actually kind of surprised he wasn't in the thing. He would make sense. I feel like it's just it's a sh- like a really tough shoot, and I don't know if he could have done it at this point because he's old at this point. That's one. That's one. Wolford Brimley was called because they knew Wolford Brimley could do it because he ain't gonna take no crap off no one. None of you getting out of here alive. You know that Wilford Brimley is like 40-something in that movie, right? You know that, that Wilford Brimley has been 100 for his entire life. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> there are men who are just born at the age of like 65. And I think it's, him, and, yeah. Robert Duvall, Gene Hackman. It is weird when you see Robert Duvall with a mild amount of hair. You're like, what is this? Well, Even I'm Dennis like, Hopper. This... Like, seeing young Dennis Hopper, I'm like, who the fuck? <laughs> you're not that man. You're just <laughs> a liar. Yeah. Yeah. So Donald Pleasance is in this movie, and I I kind of view him as like I I don't know like he's I mean he's like he's real he might be as Kaitel. Hmm. You know that makes sense. Yeah. It actually kind of is. He kind of can play heavier than like Russell can, and that's what Kaitel's character is. I feel like Pleasance. There's this in every movie I've seen him. There's this like just he's. It's so interior that you just you kind of understand every movement and every motion that he's going through. Like you, you get every emotion comes across, even in like little subtle movements. Okay. He's such a smart actor. He is, and he really plays it well. And Donald Pleasance is an amazing actor. As we we mentioned the movies he was in with Carpenter, he's also Blofeld in the James Bond movies. Like yeah. he's he's really good. And he's he's a wonderful character actor from like a time gone by where a man like him today, I don't know if you would ever get roles that he got in the day, but he was he was a man of his time. If you want to see a really good Pleasance movie where he just like chews scenery and he's like the main character, there's this British movie called Deathline. I think okay. the name of it. He plays like the chief inspector and he basically has like the most screen time. It's the only movie where I think he and Christopher Lee share screen time together. Weird. I was like the first one to do it, but it's a it is a good movie, and he is just absolutely killing it. Okay, 
So let's go into the plot of this movie. We've talked about our star. We've talked about our, our filmmaker. And we talked about Carpenter last week, too, on the thing. So the first shot of this film appears on a campus. And I may have yelled out that woman has stolen Pee Wee Herman's bike. And I want to go into this. We go through the credits and we see these people taking a class on, like, it's like relative theory, right? It's like shit like that, like Stephen Hawking bullshit, right? It's also like a graduate level class. Like those yeah. are grad students very clearly. Like, Cause Naomi was like, why is everybody in this college scene look like they're 35? And I was like, that's probably because they are 35. <laughs> yeah, exactly. First thing I want to get off the board. I know this is your movie and you picked it and I respect that. However, that being said, if it ever comes up where one of us gets to claim it, I'm changing my name to Dirk Blocker. I don't know who that actor is, but I like that name. It's a good name. So Dirk it's Blocker. a great 80s acting name. He looks like a Dirk Blocker, Blocker too. Yeah. They are a bunch of grad students, and they are called by their teacher, who is played by Victor Wong. By the way, Victor Wong, another character acting legend. Victor Wong is also very good in this. I'll say this. If they had made a Crazy Rich Asians like at this time, Victor Wong would have been in that movie. He's still alive. No, he died in 2001. Never mind. He's not alive. I was going to say, Victor Wong is still alive. He must be a thousand. Yeah, I wish. Yeah. So He's also in Big Trouble in Little China. That's right. And a very seminal movie, Three Ninjas. (laughs) There is no way he is their grandfather. I won't accept it. Those kids are as white as the driven snow. Like... There is no chance that guy is their grandfather. Like, it's not. Like, and they never address it. They just keep calling him grandfather. But I'm not going into this. You know who else is in this? Who else is in this? Alice Cooper. I saw that. I went to the very back. I was like, I was like, oh, that's Street, as he is called, Street Schizo. I was like, oh, that guy's upsetting looking. Who is that? And I was like, oh, well, I've already figured this out. I like popped big time when his name popped up in the like opening credits. I was like, what? "You're like school's out." Yeah, Fool Alice. Yeah, I, I I paused the movie and I just went for a walk around the neighborhood, yet yeah, screaming that. <laughs> they are called by their teacher, this group of research students, to come and investigate this thing in this church that Donald Pleasance's character has found, and he found it by finding the notebook of his former mentor. And it's this giant cylindrical tube that has, like, just swirling green vapor in it. (laughs) Just like green vapor of death. Green vapor of death. And they start to figure out that there's something in this tube, and potentially what is in this tube could kickstart the apocalypse. Yeah. That's kind of the plot of this movie. The thing is, is, like, everything they learn about it, they're like, this doesn't make any sense. Because it's like... It's the computer is like cracking an equation that's in like an old, like 2000 year old notebook that was like translated from Latin into like some sort of weird equation that wasn't invented until like a thousand years after that notebook <laughs> was written. It's so it's like one of those things where it's like every new thing you learn about it, you just go, I don't know, man, I would leave. <laughs> it's so clearly run away. Like, yeah. But, but they can't because the movie doesn't go anywhere if they don't. That's but the also problem. people try. Like, oh, a couple, a couple, of, covers a that couple up. of them do. Yeah. So we move on. And my first note was, I said, this priest finds this notebook from his mentor. And his first idea is, let's bring in grad students? What the hell? It, like, why them? Why wouldn't you get the military involved? Well, <laughs> I think the idea is he's trying to get this, like, brilliant teacher and his crack team of students to, like, crack it before it releases 
But, I mean, anybody who's seen a movie can tell you that that's a bad idea. It really is. So, putting the team together montage I thought was really nice. Yeah, no, I think it's good. Gonna okay. hang out in this creepy church. We're gonna figure out if this thing's gonna kill us all. Yeah, that's that's the montage music. Uh, so good. There's some real ladies. '80s montage mu- music in this. Yeah, no, yeah. some like really good. Just also that soundtrack is so good. Yeah, it's it's, and it's, it's with you the entire time too. Yeah. Uh, the thing has such a sparsely used soundtrack. This one's kind of the opposite. Yeah, it is kind of in your face the entire time. I wrote this down. I stand by this. Homeless people creeping me out. Uh, I write it. Yeah. Homeless people don't creep me out, but those are some creepy-ass homeless people. Yeah, exactly. Homosexual panic, question mark? Yeah. By the way, Dennis Dunn in the October Golden Ham right now. By the way, the Golden Ham is not going to be won by him, but he at one point is holding it. All of his scenes are just wildly over the top. And I feel like they were trying to get over like some sort of like catchphrase doll that he was going to be like, don't you want to buy your Dennis Dolph, Dennis Dunn figure from Prince of Darkness? He goes, he goes, I've got my Walter. And they pull the string. He goes, homosexual panic. Like what, what the shit is his lines about? I think he's real, like a real comedy relief character. Yeah, it, it doesn't work. Unfortunately. Well, I mean, this movie is written by John Carpenter, so... Oh, yeah. No, no, I, I get that. That That's why. So I wrote, it's faith versus science. And I think that's a very clever thing. And I think that's where kind of the magic versus practical thing from The Prestige kind of reminds me of this. I think it's set up as that, but I don't think the movie is nearly really interested in, like, faith versus science, like, like against one another. I think it's more interested in the idea of, like, faith and science and their inability to equip the mind's understanding of, like, our finality. I- and like I think smallness what, in the universe. I think what you're also saying maybe too is that faith and science can't go hand in hand and stop this bigger threat. It's mm-hmm. more of kind of a bickering between the two. Man can't conceive both of them at the same time, maybe. Well, it's not just that. I think it's also this movie is very Lovecraftian. I think both movies are very Lovecraftian. Yeah. Um, one is more overtly Lovecraftian in that it's using like Lovecraft symbols to make a movie that isn't really as Lovecraftian as the other one. But this movie's very much about how we as people are like very finite and minute into the entirety of the universe. And I think it's a movie about the brain's inability to understand that. So this tube that they find, it's translating and it's essentially saying like, I am the one that is coming, like all all dark biblical kind of stuff. Like it's saying like, I, I am the prince of darkness. And I am an anti-god. I am an anti-god. All of a sudden, one of the women gets near it and it spits on her into her mouth, which I guess is how this works, and she becomes possessed by it. I didn't realize it at the time, but now that you're saying that, this kind of feels like sort of weirdly, maybe a little bit, uh, has some like AIDS fear in it. Yeah, yeah, it does. Which seems very 80s, especially with the, uh, someone we'll probably talk about later and their like whole body being like just grotesque and in so and mm, covered in yeah. sores yeah no that's not that's not unfair which has to we have to go to that character the character of kelly played by susan blanchard susan blanchard's character has like a burn on her arm because she bumped into the cylinder i think is that correct yeah she has like a mark and it's like it's like a circle and then like three... and we by the way we've seen that mark before I don't know, like a little Q at the bottom, like a like yeah. a little question mark at the bottom. It imagine, really weird. imagine a C with a line going through it, and then like another line going through that. Think of a cross going through a C, is what. It yeah, looks like. it just it kind of looks like a poorly drawn bat. 
Yeah, that's fair. She has that on her arm, and she starts to kind of get worse and worse. And I... How to, how to go on this. What I love about this movie is it slow plays you till the last 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. It only starts once the Scooby gang breaks up into three separate rooms. It really kicks off the movie, actually. Yeah. it Like, once it, like, the night ends, like, the first night ends and it's day again, mm-hmm. the movie really ratchets up to, like, its third gear. I think the movie does a good job of keeping people who are, like, less inclined to really like this type of horror. Keeps them interested by, like, having, like, sparsely, like, some nice kills laid throughout. Like, there's the one guy who leaves on his bike who gets, like, horribly beaten to death, I think. Yep. <laughs> and then there's the one guy who's like, this sucks, this blows, and, like, tries to leave, and then just gets, like, you know, again, beaten to death. <laughs> yeah, it's rough. So, at the heart of this movie, you have Victor Wong's character as the professor, you have Donald Pleasance as the priest. There is a love story at the center of this movie, too. There is, between Jameson Parker's character and... Lisa Blount, I believe. Blount, who are Brian as, and as, Catherine. Yes, and they're both research students, and they've come along. And I gotta tell you, man, like, it's shit like this that I say to myself, like, why isn't Carpenter still doing stuff? He's so good. Like At least writing stuff. Like, he's such a smart writer. Yeah, like, give your stuff to younger talent to adapt. I don't know, maybe he still wants to direct, who knows? I just don't think people give him money anymore. I mean, the ward. I didn't see the ward. How was it? This is not very good. Okay, fair okay. enough. They eventually all get trapped in these rooms, and some of their friends, who were once their friends, have had stuff spit into their mouth, and now they're evil. And that takes me to Jesse Lawrence Ferguson, is the winner of the Golden Ham Award. Mm. Uh, him in the mirror is really trying for something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's a good call. And. I will say this, too. It also has very similar elements of the thing in the way that they pace certain scenes and the way they play up the paranoia. He's quite good at playing off paranoia. I mean, I think they're kind of those two are kind of related. The third movie in this trilogy, which I don't know if you've ever seen or if you have, if you like it. What is it? It is uh, In the Mouth of Madness. I think I've seen it. I don't remember it. I'm going to rewatch it. That's, like, one of my favorites of his. I think that might be my favorite of his, actually. Interesting. Um, it's that oh, Sam Neill gives a hell of a performance. Maybe one day we'll do that one, too, because I really love okay. that movie. Okay, fair enough. Interesting. My next note was, and then the golden ham is snatched out of my man's hands by Susan Blanchard. <laughs> yeah. And I said, I am oddly happy with this. I, I wrote, it's Carpenter's kind of elevating an okay flick by doing what he does best. Excellent tension building and excellent high class gore. That's kind of what this movie is. So Susan Blanchard's character is almost like the vessel for whatever is on the other side of this mist that is trying to enter our world. It definitely like takes her over. It does. Um, and when it does, it is unpleasant to look at, I think is how I would phrase it. I'll put it to you this way, guys. If you're curious what we're talking about, just type in Susan Blanchard on IMDb. You'll see what we mean. You know what, Tyler? Put it in the show notes. I think that would make sense that I've put it in the show notes this week. Yeah, I'm gonna... Oh, boy. That is just upsetting. She's got... uh, just It's something to look at. It is. I guess this kind of gets us to the ending, and the idea is that this thing takes hold of Susan Blanchard and... Essentially, what it does is it's trying to pull her over and like or it it, it constructs a mirror because I guess the way it can move is through this mirror is kind of what I guess it was getting at. 
I'm not sure if it's trying to pull her over. It's not trying to pull her over. It's trying to reach through to touch her, like on a a, a similar plane, so it can cross over into our. Yeah, world. I think it's trying to pull itself out. Yeah, exactly. And it's at this point, and this is where I really like respect the movie. The two characters of Catherine and Brian have to try to stop this, and Catherine gets sucked into the mirror. Mm-hmm. And that's like really super dark. It's super dark, and Brian has to break it. He does, and she's, like, now trapped in there. Mm -hmm. I wrote, holy shit, it went super dark at the end, and all of a sudden I'm like, where's my fucking sequel to this? I don't think it needs a sequel, because I think the ending is muy bueno and perfect. Oh, I do love it. Even after that, he does one last little, like, come down, and then he scares you one more time, like, really effectively. It's a really good scare. Brian, well, it's Brian in his bedroom, and then the girl, Catherine, like, shows up in his bed all bloodied. Yeah, and then he wakes up again, and you see him looking at a mirror, and he walks over to put his hand near it, and it just goes to black. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's really, real, good. it's really effective, and it's it's got one of like just the creepiest, really good closing pieces of score music. I actually might use that as the outro this week. So really good stinger, yeah. and then music. I just realized that his marriage to Adrian Barbeau ended in 84 and this movie came out in 87 it would be like probably the first movie to begin production after big trouble in little china which is probably a movie he wanted to make for a while after his divorce and i'm wondering if that's where that dark of an ending came from maybe he's writing through some stuff i don't know this just mm. that's some speculation that's not even you don't even have to keep it on the podcast that's just me spitting no no no. no no i like that that's good man it's it's just it's a wild wild movie i, I think People, if you haven't seen this, definitely give it a shot. And it's, and give yourself some time. Yeah, like, this is kind of like, definitely, I'm probably going to rewatch it sometime soon, because I think I need to watch it, maybe, like, either later at night, when I kind of, like, have chilled down, maybe have, like, a glass of tea, something cozy, and just kind of, like, let this, like, wash over me. Because it's just, it's such a, like, a, it's so slow, it's kind of, it, it, it's weirdly cozy at the beginning, and then, like, it kind of wraps you in this, like, mortal terror. This like existential dread towards the end. I know what you mean. Yeah, it really does. And just top to bottom, just like a lot of really good performances just going for stuff. And mm-hmm. I'm never against people when they're trying to do something with a performance. And it is like, you know what it is? It's a slower paced thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's really well done. It does make me now want to watch In the Mouth of Madness to kind of like complete that trilogy. In the Mouth of Madness is... Very good. I've seen it. I just cannot remember a thing about it. Sam Neill plays a guy looking for a writer in upstate New York. And then also he is also a character who's trapped in a book. Fair enough. It's very good. It's yeah. much better than what I just described because what I described kind of sucks. But Okay, um, so, so let me ask you this. Where does this fall for you? You said this is, might be your favorite Carpenter movie. It's up there now. I think it's under In, uh, in the Mouth of Madness because that's my favorite. But it's kind of like next to some heavy hitters like Assault and The Fog and Escape from New York. How's um, Now, you've only seen it once. Where's The Thing sitting? So The Thing is is, is right underneath it, I think. It, it, it'll take some time. Then. Well, let me let me ask you this. Would you not even put The Thing on your Mount Rushmore for him because you know it would be on mine? Yeah, no, I, I would definitely try to get something else on because I know it's going to be on there. That's fair. <laughs> like, That's it's fair. one of those with like, like, yeah, it's got to be on there. Like, come on. I don't know if I would be able to sneak Prince of Darkness on there. I think with... I'd be okay with Prince 
This is like a really impromptu. Let, uh, let me let me ask. Well, we're yeah, we're not doing this, but I do like the idea of maybe doing a Carpenter one because I think I've seen almost all of his stuff. That would that would you would be inflicting pain of having to watch memoirs of an invisible man. Oh, I would, wouldn't I? Well, hold on. So before we get to the rating, I want to ask you: Do you have a particularly favorite kill scene? Anything in this movie you want to talk? I love. You brought him up. I just forgot his name. You're talking about Jesse Lawrence Ferguson. Yeah, when when uh, I think that's him. When he is like possessed and he takes like a piece of the railing, the like railing, the stair railing, and he stabs himself in the neck. Like slashing his throat and then it's dies. I'm like, horrific. that's fucked up. That that's yeah. that that rivals anything you see in the Beyond. Like that is such a brutal kill. It is. Yeah, that's actually that might be the best one of the best moments of it. And he's just oh, because I think you can tell he's the one actually fighting against it. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I get from that. I'll be honest. You shot that today. If Jordan Peele did that today, can you imagine how stylized and like beautiful it looked? But it's so like raw when like Carpenter shoots it. Carpenter is such like a really sparse style that you don't see a whole lot anymore. I feel like you mostly see it in people who are like inspired by Carpenter, who are like really like kind of like his acolytes. But like I don't think he, I don't think anybody does it nearly as good as he does. He has the real like Howard Hawks kind of very old classic Hollywood style of of shoot a movie. That's actually pretty true. Damn. He is good. I don't know. There's not much more I can say about this movie, but saying like, go see it. This is a very interesting movie. And you know what? It, even more so than Prestige, it's kind of almost his inception where like, it's a little too smart for the room. I mean, definitely at the time. I feel like yeah. it is, it's playing with a lot of ideas. And if it doesn't land with you, it can be kind of a slog. I'll say this too. It kind of makes sense as to why you like Interstellar. This movie kind of reminds me of that too. <laughs> you're really just like popping in all of the nolan it's more of his misunderstood no it's not batman it's none of the batmans no those are pretty straightforward no I'm you know, i think about... the prince of darkness is kind of like memento you know if you cut nope, it up nope, a little bit not, not even like memento no no but it, i mean interstellar in the sense that this is just really misunderstood okay but i guess that has to take us out of the darkness and back into the light and we have to give a rating for this I might shock uh, the world and give this a four and a half out of five. Okay. Okay. You gave the Beyond a five. I love the Beyond. Sorry. Look, it's like look, one look. Of... You're fine. You're fine. I love the thing. I gave that a five. I got to say, this is, this is a four. And that rating could change if I watch this again at some point. But this is a four. This is a solidly put together little thriller that would work today as well as work then. Like, none of the themes have changed. You can do all of this still. And it just works for its time. And it's really well done. And the fact that you don't really recognize anybody outside of, like, Donald Pleasance and Victor Wong kind of makes it that much more real. Yeah. The budget limitations kind of help the film a lot because Carpenter's forced to kind of stay in this, like, one spot with, like, people you don't really know. And that really kind of, like just helps you make it feel a little bit more real, if that makes sense. It does. I'm, I'm amazed that his follow-up to this is They Live. They Live is such a... It's a good one movie. Of the, one of, it, it is. It's a wonderful movie. One of these days, we're going to have to really just deep dive with something else. What would you program with They Live? I could probably find a trashy like B-movie to program with it, if you want me to. I mean, I want something more like just misunderstood or just or just like... Okay. Yeah, something mm. like that. I don't know. 
I will, you know, I will shoot you a text and let you know okay. I have it. Perfect. Perfect. So that takes us out of it. And we are on to the close. And I guess before we get to all of our goodbyes and everything and tell them what we're doing next week. So next week we are going to be doing a bit of a end of the decade wrap up. But for horror movies, Ben and I have gone into separate rooms in separate parts of the country and written our 10 favorite horror movies of the decade. And we will be doing two separate lists. I don't know what other, how other, how other I can explain it other than. No, no, uh, no. Okay. So Ben and I. Do you want me to cut you off? 10 movies each. Horror movies from 2010 to somewhere in the middle of 2019. No, The Lighthouse won't be on it. Sorry. So, yes, things like The Lighthouse will not be on there. Things like Three from Hell will not be on there. I didn't think it would be. (laughs) For which one? Oh, man. Three from Hell. Are you? Yeah. It might not be good. I don't know. Are you really excited for that? Wait, that was really rules. Oh my god, do you like Devil's Rejects? I fucking love Devil's Rejects. Oh, I'm so happy. I don't know anyone who likes Devil's Rejects. No, Devil's Rejects is fucking great. Yeah, it is. Oh, it's so good. Ugh. Okay, Devil's so good. As, as Tyler put it, we are going to be counting down next week. No best thing we saw this week, because the entire show is going to be devoted to us breaking down our top ten lists for the decade in horror. That is ten to one. We each have a list of ten. And we will be going back and forth. Tyler will start with 10, then I'll do mine. Back and forth. So we go down until we hit our number ones. I will say this. We have watched everything on the lists. This isn't us just going in blind with some things. And there will be some surprises. There will be some shocks. And I imagine there will be some some words exchanged about certain things. Ben's going to really come at me for one of my picks, I think. You'll just have to see. I'll just... Let me just crack my knuckles. Let me just... uh, uh, But yeah, no... We'll have to see. It's it's going to be very interesting. And, and we've both seen each other's lists. We, we got this done ahead of time. And I guess all we can say is join us next week when we talk about those. If you guys want to find us, you can find us at TWGTF pod on Twitter. You can contact us there. You can leave us a five-star review. And I guess my only question is, Tyler, do you have anything left? No, I'm, I'm in a derelict basement in a church. So... Fair enough. For Two White Guys Talking Film, I have, of course, been your host, Ben. And I am a green floating ooze. And remember, guys, if you're sitting in the front row and you immediately develop cataracts, you're not getting your money back. Two White Guys Talking Film! A guy goes up into his attic and plugs his theremin into his Mesa Boogie bass amplifier, turns it up all the way and realizes that there are dangerous creatures living in his house, but it's really another dimension. The symbolism just really, really made it a lot more terrifying and and set a mood, set a feel. It was so strange because it was an Italian horror film, but it was set in, I guess, New Orleans. Lucio Fulci, when you look back at his work, you really can see a genius. It was the sheer number of the undead coming at you. I mean, it was apocalyptic. One really creepy, far-out moment, there is a little girl that reappears, and they're in this, like, hospital-type complex with several bodies around, and the girl looks over she is shot in the back of the head and the blast is so intense that her face is blown completely away